Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. And as you can see, those of you who are with us live or if you're watching the video via Memorex, um, we're still not in the studio this week. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're, uh, Tim, you're, you're... I don't know what you're talking about. We're in the studio. We're just invisible. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> there, there we are. Um, that's all my tax stuff kind of spread out, which is supposed to be done before now. Um, but last week, as I, as I detailed, uh, in, uh, over on Live from the Bunker yesterday, uh, best laid plans and all that. Right. Yeah. So, uh, and, and Robert says, love Buck Rogers, shocked it hasn't been rebooted and made black yet. Well, the reboot is coming. I don't think they'll make Buck Rogers black, but the reboot is coming. Uh, George Clooney is involved as a producer. So, so uh, I, um, he's been, that reboot has been coming so long and he's been involved I, as a I producer know. for so long. I'm, I'm suspecting that iteration is not going to happen. Probably not. And you know, the, as we, cause we interviewed Flint Dilly, who is the grandson of the creator of Buck Rogers, the, the newspaper strip. And I think that still involved, <laughs> uh, that I think the I mean the estate is still wanting to do stuff. The last time I had heard, so yeah. at well, some I mean, point we'll get a Buck Rogers reboot, right? And I think that I mean you know Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon and and some of the other ones that have you know have real potential for new adaptations. And again, they're they're kind of like a lot of of genre stuff that is reinvented for each new generation as no. they as they go along. So. I mean, I I think that there's you could do some really cool things with both of those properties, yep. but you just gotta. I mean, these things can get so complicated. Well, and <laughs> I, and and it, um, it's you wouldn't have Buck Rogers or Flash Gordon or Luke Skywalker or Superman or any of the rest of those without John Carter. So I will, I will take every opportunity that I can to, to mention that. Uh, hello everybody. Welcome. This is the H2O podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Harvey. And tonight we're going to circle back to a topic that we've touched on a few different times, the idea of adaptations, but we're, it, we're approaching it from a different angle this time um, because we've talked about how, how difficult it is to adapt and, and all of those different things, all of the challenges that are involved in adapting something from one piece of media to another piece of media. But one thing that's come up in conversation a couple of times is the question of just how important is it to stay faithful to the source material? Fidelity, does it matter? Does it not matter? Is it circumstantial where sometimes it matters more than other times? And we, we've got a few things We've got a few illustrations, some different things. And so I I figured we'd probably take 
the evening and not the full evening. We're not going to go three and a half hours like some some live streams do. Uh, but <coughs> I will warn everybody ahead of time that if the signal dies, it's because we're experimenting tonight. Not only because usually when we broadcast live, we're broadcasting to YouTube and to Odyssey. Now, last week or so, we've also been streaming to Twitch uh, because I found out that Twitch is not enforcing the 24-hour exclusivity rule very, very much anymore. So we've been streaming to Twitch in addition to YouTube and Odyssey. And I found out today that Rumble... <laughs> which is another video platform competing with YouTube uh, and is, is apparently doing fairly well and has gotten gotten some buzz. Rumble apparently has decided not to charge a fee uh, for channels to live stream anymore. And so tonight, for the very first time, we are live streaming to Rumble in addition to odyssey and youtube and twitch so if things come crashing down around us that's probably why and no we're we're not streaming to i don't even think OnlyFans has a streaming option um although we have we have made the joke uh, and it is a joke. It is not a serious plan at all for us to set up an uh, an OnlyFans for Office Dog, but that's not really going to happen at all. So, <coughs> uh, Mr. Harvey, you vamp for a minute. I got to pick up sure. something over on on the desk because I've got my first example of uh, source material stuff, and I got to grab it because I forgot to get it on my way in. Hang on. Okay, so in in fairness, not every film needs to be faithful to the source material and still be you could still be a very good film. It is very very well known that Stephen King is not a fan of the movie The Shining. Excellent movie, amazing film, but not a faithful adaptation of the novel. Blade Runner is not a faithful adaptation of do androids dream of electronic sheet brilliant movie and, and this is something that you see with with you know there's there's something to be argued for taking the concept and making a new thing and that's fine and sometimes it, it can work there's no question um but there are other times where, I mean, if, for example, if, if you've seen an adaptation of an Alan Moore property, anything by Alan Moore, um, you're looking at significant deviations from the text by the time it gets to, to the screen. And <laughs> even, if, even if you're looking at something as relatively successful as Watchmen, um, you know, and, and for all the fact that I'm made it we've made it very very clear that we, real issues with with snyder's dc films i think that in many ways watchman is one of his best films and is as a pretty pretty faithful adaptation of the source material it still manages to well it, it manages to run into part of the problem that's that i have with snyder's superhero films in general which is that it misses the core point in the graphic novel 
or the the series and in, in, in the graphic novel collection that these are very flawed people yeah. there's still that it's it's a it's a lot more of a superhero movie than it is a deconstruction of superhero stories which is what the source material is and v for vendetta is an ex excellent example of an amazing series that that would really benefit from you know being a mini series or something like that that strips out so much of what actually makes the point of the story because this is this was something that alan moore wrote during the thatcher years he had a very negative reaction to margaret thatcher and and where england was going under her prime her time as prime minister and this was very much his fears writ large on the comic page and that's not where you know, you know, Britain didn't go as anywhere near as far as what he was afraid of. But that's the point. You know, this, this is the, the the starting point for the story he was telling. Is those were his fears, and he put them down on page, and it turned into V for Vendetta. Yeah. But in the film, you get this sort of action hero version of of V. Yet in the comic, V's scary because V is not sane. And he's not a he's not an action hero in the comic. I mean, he does a lot of, you know, physically cool action stuff, but that's not the point of the comic. And they, you know, I mean, as much as I own V for Vendetta, I like V for Vendetta. <laughs> I mean, it's a fun movie. I think it's I think it's a well crafted film, and it's it's a great film to watch. But it's an example of something where you know. I can love the source material and, and love the finished product and recognize that they are not remotely. See, I think that's that's one of those examples of a story that survives the translation, but it becomes its own thing. Right. Uh, where you have something like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which did not transcend the translation well enough to stand on its own and because you have you have comparisons that are made between the two and v for vendetta holds up like you said and it's and it's its own thing and and as a movie it's it's I mean, even if you've never read the comic book you can understand the the the, the movie Whereas, but you can also understand why alan moore would look at that movie and go, once again, you missed the point. <laughs> yeah. And and the, the thing is, is that it's, it's hardly the only adaptation. And, and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is hardly the only adaptation. Pretty much everything that has been made um, adapting Alan Moore's work to mm -hmm. the screen has been a significant either, it's diluted, the work to the point, and, and again, we come back to our the various discussions on the adaptation process, but these are bigger stories that can often be crammed into an hour and a half or two hours. And the the pruning of story and character and and, and depth of story can kill something like that. Yeah. And I mean, you look at, um, was the Jack the Ripper movie with Johnny Depp? Um, from hell right so that's oh, that's yeah. an, that so if you if you've ever read from hell the comic it is it is a serious and yes it played it, it's got it's based on a conspiracy theory that has no evidence uh historically but 
um, it's still it's it's a very serious, very grounded uh, story, and the movie turns into Johnny Depp has psychic powers. It's like, what on? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, like, what's happening here? And and as pointed out in the chat, the, for V for Vendetta, you have a, a reduction of the threat of the government. I mean, you've got V taking actions against the government, and there are places where we see the government is doing the whole 1984 Big Brother thing, but it's mm. not as emphasized. Uh, I think probably as well, as what you get in the in the comic, yeah. So yeah, I mean, the, I mean, there's so much in the comic where you're actually diving into the lives of the people in the government, and yeah. so you have this some sense of depth where, aside from, I mean, yes, it's very cool to have John Hurt basically play, play Big Brother. I mean, yes, it, it, it's haha, that's <laughs> clever. Um, and and, I, and and quite frankly, he's great at playing that kind of character. But in the comic, you have you get to watch the guy in charge descend, descend into madness as yeah. this is all happening. There's there's a so many different storylines going on that it paints this picture of what this very dark fascistic vision of the UK has become, and that really kind of puts the fact that V is at the least a sociopath, if not a psychopath. Yeah. The main, you know, the guy you're rooting for is is legitimately mentally unhinged. Um, is that's that's a fascinating pull and push against what you expect from this sort of dystopian future thing, right? Yeah. Not to mention that the, the visual texture of the comic kind of roots it in the 1960s. So it's, it's a, I mean, you know, it's in the future, but it's, it, there's so many different things going on there. And then you get into something like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, where you can tell for good and for ill, especially as the <laughs> series goes on, that Alan Moore loves British pop culture of the tw early 20, uh, late 1800s into the, probably the 50s or 60s. Yeah, of uh, in in UK culture, he loves that pop culture stuff. It's a huge. I mean, he's of the age where that stuff would have been hugely influential on him. You get into the 1970s and 1980s, you start to see where <laughs> Alan Moore gets a little bit of get off my lawn, um, especially when it comes to like the Harry Potter books. He's he's not a fan. Um, let's, let's put it that way. But I mean, so these are all kinds of things that transplant you know bringing in tom sawyer and 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 but you know it america americanizes it it's like yes americans have to be handheld thanks um but it also misses the point with the characters like um mina parker and it misses the point with characters like um uh, jekyll and hyde is that hyde is intelligent in the comics he's clever yeah mina is mina has gone through such a traumatic experience that the, there is she's human she's not she's not half vampire like she's in is in the um in the movie 
And so she becomes, and, and at a time when women were not necessarily taken seriously, she takes control of the league because of her strength of character. And Alan Quartermain hears this, you know, this amazing classical character, you know, uh, adventure hero out of out of fiction who's a broken old man. They're they're looking at these characters in different ways, right? And 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 it should be pointed out that that's not how he was portrayed in the movie. He was he was reserved and retired and and everybody go away and leave me alone, but he wasn't broken and he wasn't right. he wasn't at that point where my life is over. I'd rather be dead. I'm you know because when we first find him in the comic book, he's in an opium den completely out of his mind because of the drugs that he's on, mm-hmm. and that's not that's not the character that we got in the in the movie so this is when when you hear that they're talking about doing a, a league of extraordinary extraordinary gentlemen series you're like okay yeah how's got... that gonna work <laughs> okay so i'm i'm looking real quick let me let me let me pop over yeah. here because i'm i'm seeing something that i'm not sure that i'm seeing what i'm seeing but i think that i'm seeing it right over on rumble it looks like we have 22 people watching the show. Well, well welcome. Which if you're watching the show is, over on Rumble, guys. This is good, I guess. I mean, I, I, I think that's what I'm seeing. I don't know. I've not, again, this is this is brand new. We're, we're live streaming to Rumble for the very first time. So if any of you are, are watching us live on Rumble, I mean, the chat's open. You can you can stop in and say hi. So I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. It's just I was I'm looking at this one. I was like, is that number right? Am I looking at what I'm Am I seeing that right? Well, I think that this is this is an interesting thing that you can see with some of these these stories where and, and Alan Moore is just a great example of a guy who's telling complex stories mm. and, you know, given the space to tell them from hell is not a short uh, comic. It's not, it's long. Watchmen is long. Um, I don't and... think Alan Moore knows how to write a short story. I mean, oh, killing, he, he killing joke may, may be his shortest in, in terms right. of the big influential, Everybody knows sure. Alan Moore for this type of thing. I think Killing Joke is probably the. Well, that's why he's working. That's why he's writing novels now. Yeah, uh, because you know it's just it's, he he's written short stories. He's written he's written all kinds of stuff. But the thing is, is that the stuff that's really made an impact and and culturally and and held up has been the stuff where he's had the chance to. Well, he's he's a great world builder, and I think that's that's kind of an important thing for for some of these big ideas that he plays with is to have the space to tell those stories. Yeah. But you also run into the problem that this is amazing. This is great. Comic books are hot. Let's adapt it. Hang on. (laughs) (laughs) Hang on. Wait. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, you know, uh, again, you can end up with something like Feed for Vendetta. Fantastic, fun movie. Terrible adaptation. Um, And we've seen that with other things too, where it's like, you know, um, Constantine is, I, I again, I own Constantine. Keanu Reeves is great. I'm looking forward to the sequel. It does hold up, but... God-awful adaptation of, and again, we come back to Alan Moore, yeah. um, with, with you know, the, the Hellblazer comic. And the fact that we are getting, you know, that DC, we've got this horror in with Swamp Thing, that's a fantastic place to bring, you know, Constantine into the 
into the the DC film world and and great I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the potential there but again you know if you if you were to like say you swamp thing to start adapting the American Gothic arc in swamp thing you couldn't do it all in one movie right you just couldn't yeah. it's too long it's too it's too layered um so I mean you know it's <sighs> <laughs> unless you, you unless you leave whole pieces out but still Which, and then and then you just ruin everything that's in there so so were it i dear james gunn please <laughs> write me um so were it me were it i uh developing the horror slate for the new dc uh uh plan yeah is swamp thing is you're in you start there and over this you do a series of films. It, it basically you'd lead up to. It would almost be the the Marvel arc to Avengers Endgame, right? I mean, the same kind of structure, not the same thing, but yeah. because you would basically start pulling in these other characters and start telling this bigger story, so that you could culminate in the end, the supernatural apocalypse kind of thing that you get toward the end of of that run of Swamp Thing. What American Gothic built to. So if you wanted that big, you know, event film, which pulls it all together, you could do that starting with Swamp Thing and pull in the DC um, magic users, right? Get your, get your Zatanna's and your Constantine's and your Phantom Stranger and your, you could, you could Spectre. build that. Yeah. Yeah. The Spectre. Well, yeah, you'd have to cut you, the Spectre's uh, a big part of the, that, that arc. So and still do the path to the American through the American Gothic, but you'd spread it out. It wouldn't just be it would it wouldn't just be Swamp Things arc. You'd drill in these other characters to make it work. So, I mean, I think that it could be really cool. But yeah, well, and now Jared's got a got a question about the fact that you know, like we're talking about V for Vendetta, you get a you get a decent film, you get a decent story. But you have fans that are going in with an expectation of what they're going to get, and then they don't get it. Is it do do the do the the filmmakers do producers have a responsibility to remain? Faithful? I mean, why would it be important? It, it they don't have to stay okay. faithful to the. They don't have to stay faithful to source material, but it's a good point because, and, and and we've talked about this, the fact that your comic book readers are numbered in the, at this point, maybe the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe, where your movie-going public, your audience is numbered in the millions, depending on what kind of film you're making and, and how big it is, your budget and whatever, that. So on the one hand... You have the movie studio that's trying to maximize how much audience they get. The the new Dungeons and Dragons movie, for example, is a good example of that because after after we went and saw it Thursday night, we're sitting there and we're talking with people afterwards. And uh, Lenita Cook was there. She's a uh, a film critic here in Kansas City. She's contributed to the site before, and she doesn't know beans about Dungeons and Dragons. Never played it, doesn't know anything about it, not familiar with it. She's heard of it. 
And this movie was just as accessible for her as it was for us, as it was for the people that were standing there who have been playing the game forever, all the time, you know, every week. So it's those different levels of access that when you do an adaptation from one medium to the next, you've got to make sure that you do it in a way that doesn't lock so many people out that they go in there and go, I have no idea what's going on. This could be good, but I don't know if it is or not. Yeah, but the, as much as I would love to see that happen, how many Dungeons and Dragons films have we had until we get this? Right. Right. How many how many times have have you had a video game adaptation come along? But I would point out that the previous Dungeons and Dragons movies have not been marketed as mainstream audience films. Which because, is what makes... because things have changed in the the perception of these genre films. You've had all of these superhero movies that have come out, and now it's okay to be a fan of this sort of thing. Which Whereas when those worse. movies came out, you know, we were the we were the you know stuck in the basement at mom's house, and we didn't get to go out and play and and get stuck on the basketball team. We were picked last and picked on and all of that, and none, all of that's gone away. Yeah, but that makes it worse. Because when you think about it, the neat, the, the fact that you're targeting it to a, you're, you're, you know that your target audience is smaller, and yet you do something that does not actually a fan. You can't just make a fantasy film and call it Dungeons and Dragons, right? I mean, you can. You it's can. been done, yeah. right? But the thing is, is that what I think the success, what 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 was successful about this new movie, what we talked about after watching it, is that it feels like something that was made by people who played the game. Yeah. And interestingly enough, it was made by people who played the game. Yeah. So, I mean, that's and I think that that's something that you get into some of these things where it's like, um, you see this a lot with young young adult adaptations, where you know it's like, oh. Uh, the Harry Potter films are out. We have our studio has to have its own franchise, so we get mm, Divergent, mm-hmm. which diverges from the source material. That was too easy. But then you look at something like Artemis Fowl, huge book series, right? Um, directed by Kenneth Branagh. You know, who's a he's a, he's a very good director, kids. Um, and yeah, he directed the first Thor movie. Well, I mean. The first Thor movie, there was only so much you could do. You you can see Brana's visual touches. Yeah, Brana in superhero movies has the same problem that Zack Snyder has in superhero movies. <laughs> visual, he's he's a great visualist. It's yeah. the story. Um, but um, Artemis Fowl, he basically was like, eh, broad strokes, let's go. And the fans of the the fans of the series went. This it's got names I recognize, but I don't yeah. recognize the characters, and and that's an example of something that we see a, we saw a lot in genre adaptations. Aragon, was Aragon. Oh, Miss, Mrs. Boss has some thoughts about Aragon. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, this is these are things where it's it's like somebody sat there and went, "We need our own Lord of the Rings. We need our own, mm-hmm. um, you know, this film or their Harry Potter, whatever it is." And they they don't understand, you know, Percy Jackson, the Percy Jackson movies. Yeah, um, which 
you know, again, some of this stuff gets gets a redemption arc um, for the for the <laughs> source material. It's not not the not the original adaptation, but you know, we're getting a Percy Jackson series. Where if we get our Lord, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen series, you have the opportunity to sit there and and dive into this stuff and and tell it correctly. Um, but then you look at something like, and we've talked about this before, um, you know, I Am Legend, which has had one, two, four, four different adaptations at this so, point, yeah. I think. And and the most accurate one um, was the Vincent Price one. And it's not even accurate. Yeah. Um, but then again, you know, Charlton, when, when you bring Charlton Heston in, um, you don't get the, you know, you're just not going to get the, 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 you know, less than action hero uh, scientist of the, of the novella. I mean, come on, you're just not. <laughs> and then, and then it's just all downhill from there. If you're looking for, you know, an, an accurate adaptation, I yeah. mean, cause Will Smith's I Am Legend is less an adaptation of the source material than, than at least part, most of it is a remake of, of the Omega Man. Right. So, Here, Here's a question. Well, um, Dave's asking about the original Dracula. Was it a faithful adaptation? I want to I get to that. Uh, ish. But it wasn't the original... Okay. <clears throat> Dracula 1931 was not the first... Nosferatu was, but it had the serial numbers filed off because they was. couldn't make a Dracula Not legal. movie. <laughs> but you have, uh, you have those, and I think with Dracula in 1931, you have the challenge of this is a kind of newish medium that we have here, this movie thing, what we're doing, because we'd only been, you know, movies as we, as we know them, narrative storytelling longer than 10 or 15 minutes, movies, motion pictures in 1931, this was still kind of a new thing. You know, it was, I yeah, mean, it's less really less than a decade old. Yeah, so um, you know they're still they're still getting their legs under them in terms of what they figured out they could do. You know, well, vis and, visual and you, effects were incredibly primitive at that point, and well, everything else. So I mean, there was so much of it was just in camera, which when you consider the effects that they accomplished um, for a lot of those early. You know, Universal monster movies. Yeah. It's really impressive. I but have you also, been seeing. You also have the, I've been seeing some photographers, you know, the action figure photographers that do the little miniatures and stuff. Mm -hmm. A couple of them have been experimenting with the Pepper's Ghost effect, mm. which basically is we're going to take a picture of this action figure, this Boba Fett or this, you know, Superman or whatnot. And a piece is going to reflect up into the glass that we've got between the camera and the figure. So you've got this floaty, ghosty kind of thing. So it's an in-camera effect. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a really old trick, and you're everybody's everybody's reacting like, "Oh, that's so cool! How did you do?" People have been doing that for a very long time. Well, we're so used to we're we've gotten so used to the CGI thing that the practical effects stuff slips by. Yeah, um, but also remember that Dracula was a series of letters in the book. Mm -hmm. It's not. 
cinematically structured. It's a yeah, it's a series narrative. Of, yeah. So the the in terms of being a faithful adaptation, in terms of turning it into a narrative, a visual narrative versus a series of just you know. Let me to dear dear sir. <laughs> Please allow me to inform you of my terrible experiences in Carpathia. You know, you don't um yeah. that it's it, it's it's by default. So I think both Nosferatu and and Dracula and the stage play and all these different things that that were really influenced by the book take the essence of the story. And, and sometimes this is what you end up with when you get an adaptation. You get the essence of the story. Um, and the successful ones, right? So, right. you know, you're looking at something like Blade Runner that you know it takes it takes the essence of what they're talking about into Android's dream of electronic sheep and does something else, but right. it agrees on the concept. Well, right? our, our own adaptation of the statement of Randolph Carter is a similar kind of situation because it's not it's not written by Lovecraft as a dialogue. You right. only have Randolph Carter's side of things and whatever con whatever conversation is taking place. What's on the other side of that is implied in some of the things that Carter says. And, you know, when, when we did ours, and you know, I had to take the script and kind of massage it and say, okay, this is the Lovecraft stuff. Now we need to kind of fill in the blanks of the in-between because it's clear he's being interrogated by the cops. Mm -hmm. And so we had to insert the cops in there. So it, our adaptation is faithful in as much as we have the words that Carter says, but we also have to add the other words that we don't get from Lovecraft. I mean, mm -hmm. they're in there because Carter even says, well, you say that I saw that up, but that, but that, so we can sit there and go, okay, well, let's just give that to the detective who says, we saw you up on the ridge. Those challenges come from changing mediums mm -hmm. more than anything else because books are not necessarily a visual thing. You don't you can you can imagine whatever it is, but when you're going to the movie it has to be up on screen. You don't have the internal narrative and the descriptive and, and all of that other stuff. It's got If it's not on the screen, it's not there. And so you have to sometimes fill in the blanks and kind of massage that a little bit. But you still, you still want to do it in a way, like you say, that retains the essence of what it is that you're starting with. And sometimes mm -hmm. you can do that more fully than other times. Oh, yeah. And sometimes, sometimes it's it's just the name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, uh, wanted, right? So, this is a, a you know action movie um, with you know a fantastic cast, right? Um, and it is not remotely like the comic, and that's probably for the best because. Um, you can you can do it now because the boys is out. You know we've got the boys. It is is sure. we've and superhero films have become a thing. But um, the comic is the supervillains won. They slaughtered all the superheroes. This is the world that they live in. Is is the world where the where the supervillains 
run everything. Right. So um, Earth, Earth and, three, and the the main character, you know, the our hero mm. is just a monster. Right. All the, there there are no good characters in this comic. That's the point. It's you know this is what happens when the supervillains win. It's it's a nightmare. Yeah. And and um, that's not the movie we got. <laughs> and, and that's probably for the best because uh, certainly at the time when that film came out, that's not a story that you could have. No studio would have made it. Right. And now, even if they did make it, it would still be watered down because of the whole, it's Mark Miller. There's some, it's, it's dark. It's dark, 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 dark. I mean, you know, you know leaving aside the, the Snyder verse, it's dark. Yeah. Um, but, um, so I liked, I like, uh, uh, couple is Dracula two, not particularly faithful, gorgeous. Same thing with, uh, Ken, Ken Brown's uh, version of Frankenstein. I, I love the movie. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's not faithful, um, but it could, sure does look good. Yeah. Um, and and it's it's very operatic and it's big and it's cool. But the, the thing is, um, you get stuff like Dracula and Frankenstein. At this point, we've had so many different adaptations that this we're almost getting just remixes at this point. Right. And and that's not that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm just saying that. The, the idea that we would get a quote unquote faithful adaptation of either of those two properties. And that calls to mind a notion that we have discussed on Bunker a few times. And and I've talked with, with other authors and and people who have opinions about this stuff as far as the creators of what we watch now, the TV shows and the movies and the, you know, there is a generation that has grown up watching movies and television shows, mm-hmm. and that informs how they make movies and television shows. Whereas you have a generation prior, previous, Coppola, Scorsese, Lucas, Cameron, uh, 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 George uh, uh, Romero, the the other that the older generation which is influenced more by literary sources. You know, you look at the original Star Trek, for example, it was written by classic Star, uh, classic science fiction authors, Ted Sturgeon, Harlan Ellison, Robert Block, yeah, and, and that group. And I think something gets lost, and this, this needs, I think this needs to be something that we talk about in, in depth at some point, the literary background of some of the creators of the things we enjoy versus the TV and film background of the people that are creating stuff now because it kind of thins it out. It reminds me of this joke. <clears throat> and if Mrs. Boss is in the chat, she'll probably say this is a dad joke. But I heard this a long time ago. So you've got this church. And it's, okay. I heard this a long time ago automatically becomes dad joke yeah Yeah. so there's this church and they decide they've got you know the 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 outside of the building needs a little sprucing up so they hire a painter to repaint the outside of the building Mm -hmm. and the church has a steeple up top towards the top (laughs) and the guy the hire to 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 paint the church building 
doesn't have enough paint. He's he's almost done. And he realizes I don't have enough paint. Right. So what he starts to do is kind of water down the paint. As he gets closer to the top of the steeple, he's thinning out the paint with water. He's he's thinning it out and thinning it out and thinning it out. Well, no, it's up here at the top. Nobody's going to notice, right? And so the minister comes out and sees what he's doing. He's like, repaint, repaint, and thin no more. Good night, folks. <laughs> but that's that's what modern day, it feels like that's what modern day creators are well, doing sometimes, not all the time. Yeah, I was going to say, because I think that what we we also saw this thing where, where there was this like explosion, especially when you look at like the video game movies, right? Mm -hmm. So video games are exploding. People are the studios are recognizing there's a there's an audience here there's a there's a, a a fan base that you can put in seats, and so it's like everybody rushes to make their video game movie and they're all terrible, um you know and Yui Bowl poofs into existence <laughs> in a cloud of foul smelling smoke and we have and, had conversations specifically about Uwe Bowl's career so you can go back and right. Listen to those. Um, and so, but you know, just you get these like really terrible adaptations. Um, and yet now that we've reached this point where again, because, um, genre fans are, are, you know, definitely, uh, uh, people who do show up to the theater, clearly, um, we're getting these more faithful adaptation, you know, uh, Christoph Gans, um, you know, coming back to, to Silent Hill, uh, mm -hmm. the first Silent Hill film was, not a not a particularly faithful adaptation of the story, but it was a faithful adaptation of the mood, and that made it actually. And then, of course, you had the terrible sequel. Um, but you got Jon Snow out of it, I guess. Um, but um, you know the fact that that he's returning with the support with the support of the the video game studio. Yeah. Um, that that's actually a very positive thing. We're getting these more faithful. You know. Detective Pikachu is is a, <laughs> I mean this is this this I mean and that's a fairly faithful adaptation in terms of yeah. tone. Well, Sonic the and, Hedgehog. Look look at fun. what they had to do what, with Sonic. Look you know changing. Here's our Sonic thing, and the fans went, <gasps> "What is this abomination?" And so they said, well, "Oh, okay, we'll change it." Leave, leaving aside the fans, it was still an abomination. It still <laughs> looked terrible. It was bad animation. I yeah. mean, and and but I mean, you look at you, you consider we we talked, God, months ago now, about Jodorowsky's Dune with the whole Dune Bible right, thing. Right. But the thing is, is that if you ever paid attention to how he was talking about making Dune, he would have killed a Dune adaptation. For at least a generation after him. Oh yeah, no question. If he had made that film, nobody would have touched that property. We would never have gotten, you know, this. Well, we wouldn't have got. We wouldn't. Have, and for all the flaws of David Lynch's version, I own it. It's an interesting movie. It's not mm. a great adaptation, but it's, you know, it's a very David Lynch movie. Yes, um, and it's cool. But it's still, you know, but we would not get, you know, the the versions of Dune that we've had. We would have, it would have been like blighted. Yeah. It would have, it, you would have be salting the earth. And I would say just, just by you pointing out that you own something doesn't necessarily add any merit to it. Right, but, right. But I, mean, I want to, I want to flip it around for a second because, you know, we talk about movies being adapted from video games. 
it can go the other way too in terms <laughs> of being faithful to the source material because we have this one right here that killed an mm-hmm. entire computer game company ET the extraterrestrial the Atari video game this one right here is so not faithful to the movie for reasons um, right. and and uh, you can you can go back at our very first blast from the bunker that we simulcast with RJ Carter over a critical blast we talked to the guy who designed this game and killed Atari Howard Warshaw and you could go back and find it in our library but this and I gotta say this game cartridge still works thank you very much. <coughs> But you know that's another example of one of those things where. But you how go, often do you play it? Uh, I don't get any chance to. I would if I if I had the time. Mm-hmm. And I also have to figure out because I've got the Atari over there, and because of how it's connected, because you know you got the old AB switch, right? Because that my Atari is the original. I have the Atari 2600. Is This is the one that I got when I was a kid. It still works. The game cartridges still work. I just have to figure out how to c- connect it to the computer so we can stream E.T. and Asteroids and whatever else I got over there. So, yeah, one of these days. I, the thing about it is, though, it's such an old type of connection like, okay, how do I do this? I need some kind of a splitter, but I don't even know. I don't know where to look. Uh, but one of these days, we'll stream some Atari. Um, maybe I just got to point a camera to the to the TV. So, <laughs> I mean, that'd yeah. be the old that'd be the old fashioned, you know, local access cable way of doing right. it, right? Right. <clears throat> maybe that's what I we got to do. Can't remember the name of the 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 show, but it was a comic book it was about it was every episode they would read a comic and it would literally be you'd see the comic book rack they'd come in and they'd pull a comic book out uh-huh. and they would sit there and the camera would have them they, they you'd literally follow them opening the pages and go panel by panel um and i was just like well okay <laughs> early days early yeah. days of cable so we had a show on sunday mornings in dallas when i was growing up uh, the children's hour, mm. and the host would, at one point, it was it was kind of faith based. You'd had Davy and Goliath, sure. you know that one. <clears throat> I think that was was Methodist, but you had your host, and at one point in the show, he would read a couple of the Sunday comic strips out of the Sunday you know the Sunday funnies. Sure. Uh, he'd do peanuts and he'd do handicap or you know th- that and he would just you the camera would just go from one from one panel right, to the yeah. next panel to the next panel and he'd read them mm-hmm. like that's how you did it back then that's right exactly we've had generations of movies and shows and so many being re redone where are the new original classics okay so two two ways of looking at this one we won't know until our kids, kids. That's the, the some some of this stuff is you know it doesn't stand the test of time. Right, right, right. So there's that. But also remember that so many of the things that we consider to be classics have been around for a very long time. 
the King Arthur stories, for example, have been told again and again and again and again and again. Yeah. And part of that comes out of the fact that they were oral traditions as much as written traditions. And and Arthur and um, uh, Robin Hood and a lot of these things, the repetition, yeah, but the I repetition, think... hold on, the repetition is what made them classics yeah so to some degree with the change in medium because this is all oral tradition and written tradition it's a different thing um but to some degree whether it's radio tv movies classic film modern film this repetition is something you get with storytelling in general right so it's right. broad strokes okay I'm, I'm being broad strokes here on the narrower strokes um well, is I it think, going to stand the test of time? I think, I think I, yeah, but I think Matuin's question is more along the lines of why we keep getting remake after remake after remake instead of original stuff. Because, it, it like you have said in the past, and you've made a, a very good point about this, if you're going to remake something, remake something that didn't work the first time and do it right the, new, the next time, there's no reason to give us a new... Man Who Fell to Earth, for example, or or a reboot of, you know, take your pick. I mean, we don't need a reboot of Buck Rogers. We don't need a reboot of Flash Gordon. Right. Sure. We certainly don't need a reboot of Star Wars. <clears throat> but you know that's coming. Eventually. But the classics are things that, that, like you said, hold up you know, and stand the test of time as they are not as they get remade. Remaking well, but, something doesn't necessarily make it a classic. Well, hold on, though, because some of these things that we re regard as classics, like the Errol Flynn Robin Hood movies, right? Right. Are remakes. Some of them are. Some of them are, but they're also adaptations of remakes because, of course, the versions of Robin Hood that by that point had been remade and retold so many times... Mm -hmm. And that's why you that you get this thing. There's there's gonna be a there's gonna be a new TV series based on I can't remember the name of the book, of the book series, but it's it's a new version of King Arthur, right? It's a but it's a TV series and it's mm -hmm. based on one of the more historically focused Arthur novels. Okay, novel series. Okay, uh, I, I'm sorry, guys, I can't remember what the name of it is, but I'll see if I can find that article I was reading about it. But. One of the things is that we get and, we and he'll put it in the Discord. Ooh, put it in the Discord. Ooh, fancy. Um, but one of the things that this article was talking about was there are there's no such thing as a true King Arthur story. There's no such there's no there's no original version. There's no accurate version because it's been mixed and remixed. I mean, so much of the, so much of what we think of as the King Arthur story is far from original. Yeah. It was it it was you know the you get uh, Guinevere and and um, Lancelot that was from the French editions where they did a whole different I mean, they rewrote it, and then you had you know uh, Mallory and and all all, all of, it has been rebooted. Right. So many times in the history. Well, uh, it, Shakespeare the same way. Right. I mean, so this is something that we do. And when you consider that so much of Shakespeare, if you're not familiar with how, what the process was, 
was rewrites of stuff that was already playing in other theaters. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a very much a, Ooh, that's a big hit for those guys. Let's do our version of that thing. Oh, wait, Marvel, DC. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, I, and, and the way studios look at this is what's, what's popular. Yes. But Matoween says, you know, looking for new original creations. And I made the point today when I was talking about uh, stuff because you have uh, the the studios and and the big tech companies, all all these companies that are laying off all these people and all these all these box office bombs and uh, you know people are not going to the movies like they used to or everything. The the new creative zeitgeist, <clears throat> for lack of a better term, is going to come from us. It's going to come from the alternative media space. I think your your new classics are not going to be corporate as much as they have been in the past. Yeah, you're going to get some original stuff from the corporations, but the corporations are just regurgitating and remaking and rebooting and remaking and rebooting and sequel and sequel and sequel and franchise and all of that, as opposed to the people who are more willing to take a risk are the people out here who've got nothing to lose. Well, and I think there's something to that, and I think that there's 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 a couple of things to think about. One is as long as you go to the theater and pay for Transformers Five, you're going to get Transformers Six. Yeah, I mean that's just that's how it works. I mean that's just and 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 that's the studio's job. Again, remember the studios the studio's job is not to give you art. The studio's job <laughs> right. is to give you is to make money. That's that's their job. And so that's all it's a you might have directors and writers and actors thinking about art and quality and things like that. That's not the studio. And it you're as much as much as it pains me, the studio is right to think of it that way because it's a business. It's gotta make money so that you can make the next thing. And maybe someday if you churn enough. Transformer six is out, you get something art. But yeah. also bear in mind that some of this stuff flies under the radar. If you're a horror fan, there's a ton of original horror out and has been for the last like decade. And I mean, science fiction less so because it's all dominated by the franchise stuff, right? Yeah, I, I mean, don't think there's anything out there besides Space Command that I can think of just right off the top of my head that's that's independent of the franchises. For all for all that, you know, you know, bash on, you know, for all my criticisms of Zack Snyder, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with an original science fiction property. Oh, with Rebel Moon? Yeah. No. I mean, it, it it might I have the same complaints? Possibly. Although you you do understand, and I, I know because we've talked about this. Rebel Moon is Star Wars with the with the serial numbers filed. Oh, I know. Okay, I know. But the thing is, is that it's not Star Wars, and maybe it means it's something else. And and of course, science fiction films, science fiction films are chancy because they're expensive. You don't, but that you don't. They don't necessarily have to be. I mean, Gattaca. We've talked. We, you and I were talking about the. Do we need a Gattaca TV series? Um, no. no, but um, I mean, it could be good. I'm not. I'm not ruling it out. I'm just saying I don't need it. Um, but Gattaca, if you look, I mean, it was it. It cost money, obviously, but 
they used a relatively small budget extremely well. Yes. It, yes they, they, they world did. built without turning it into a big special effects extravaganza. It was a human story in science fiction settings. Children of men. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's a, a actually not a great adaptation of the source material, <laughs> um, which is good because the end, you don't want to see the ending of the novel on screen kids. You don't. Um, it ends very differently. No. Um, but I mean, so there's, but you look on the horror side of things. I mean, yeah, you, you, when you consider that we're getting a lot of franchise things, that's true. And we're getting franchise reboots and, and recreations and new sequels. And that's just always been part and parcel of the horror world anyway. But, you know, A24, there's a reason this studio is making money. It's because they're putting out things that stand on their own they're individual films right and they're not mm-hmm. the only ones doing it so genre fans depending on what you want you are getting some of this stuff um now whether or not they end up becoming new classics again ask me in 20 years yeah you know that's that's the problem with some of this stuff is like uh, the we the fact that we look at something like the first star wars as a classic film the class you know well, nobody thought it was going to be that. Right. And and to answer the question from Dave in the chat, Rebel Moon is not going theatrical. It's going to go Netflix. Uh, December 22nd, 2023 is what I'm seeing here as a release date. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And Matt right. says, Blumhouse has done great. So right. has A24 and Exploring New Things. It, it's going to be the smaller, and like I said, it's the smaller people. It's not the giant studios that are going to be doing this stuff. It's the people who are willing to take a risk because they haven't. This is one of those Hollywood always learns the wrong lessons, right? We 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 have to do the big blockbuster movies because that's all that's all we can do, and the the risk of doing the smaller picture. And I don't understand why anybody is risk averse when it comes to making smaller movies because they don't cost as much. Because you don't. Okay, so. I think part of it plays into the way that we have changed. They have, we have, the industry has changed how we go to the movies. So we've talked about this before. When you and I were kids, you had like one film, you know, you had a, you had a theater in your town or a couple theaters in your town and they had one screen and you might get a film playing in that theater for months Right. And then, of course, the the multiplex came along. Right. So you could have more films, but they still played there for a really long time. You go watch, um, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark for three months, four months. And and it would, you know, and but then because and it also changed the length of movies, by the way, this whole period, the, the multiplex invented the hour and a half film. People talk about. The film is two and a half hours. Guys, prior to the multiplex, there were a lot of films that were two and a half, if not longer. And and, and there now were a that lot were, that were shorter. Sure. There, yeah. there was no there was the the I this the one and a half hour, the 90-minute movie is a great movie for programming because it means you can get a, a optimal number of screenings in mm-hmm. in from 10 a.m. to midnight. Yep. I re- I remember when I was a kid we had uh we had a general cinema at the mall and it had three screens. 
And then we had the Dollar Theater, the Chateau Theater, which was the Dollar Run Theater, the second, the second run, right? And it had two screens, I want to say. And it was a huge, big heap of deal when AMC Theaters came in with six screens in their building. Oh, sure. <gasps> six? Right. What are we going to do with ourselves? And and things have just gone downhill from that. I think the other part of that too is not just the fact that we how we go to the movies is different, but if we go to the movies because streaming has done so much harm to the overall ecosphere of of the movie going experience. I think that's one of the reasons why Shazam two didn't do so so well. Is one James Gunn basically said we're resetting everything; it doesn't matter. Two, I mean, yeah. you had the whole thing with The Rock and Black Adam and, Black and him Adam. trying to do all that. Again, and and then you have, well, I can just watch it on streaming when it comes comes to screen, streaming in right. 32 days. Right, yeah. You know? when, when, when we were teens, um, it was a much more, it was a better model. And then that, that tells you how long this has not been a great model. Right. Um, when we were teens, you'd, you'd sit there and go, it's coming to HBO or Cinemax or whatever. And it's months and months later. Right. Yeah. So there was a lot of time for this to play in the theater. Now the turnaround time, because it's. Because, yes, there is a faster paced consumption rate. Which is a weird thing to say, but it's that that is the word I want. Yes, consumption rate for people for these things, right? I mean, it's like you make all your money in your first month, and then it's like quick, put it onto DVD or Blu-ray or streaming or whatever, whatever the the next um, part of the life cycle of a film becomes, right? It's right. It, it's it's very different and adapting to that has been something that well gee um not necessarily the best thing for studios they have not done yeah. the best job which is why they're contracting i mean they all of this stuff was some they all failed to grasp the concept that you literally can only grow so big because there's a limited number of eyes on the planet <laughs> you can i mean and and you just you can only you're never you're never gonna constantly grow you're gonna grow you're gonna contract you're gonna grow you're gonna contract and there none of them were planning for the contraction well, and and the dollar theater, the second run stuff, all of that right. dried up and went away, you know. And, and you don't have that market. You can watch them at home now ever. on your giant screen yeah. TV. And Dave says, "General Cinema." That takes me back. I want to. I want to do this. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna really stick the knife in because. <laughs> you remember. Everybody remember that? <laughs> All right, I'm not going to play the whole thing because I get a ding for something, but yeah. So there's a um, there's a couple different smaller movie houses here in town. There's a place called the the Stray Cat Theater. A little hole in the wall cinema. It's got 50 seats. Um and they show a weird collection of stuff. I mean, yeah. some of it is 
<coughs> some of it is not family friendly um but they have got um their tr- their trailers mm-hmm. their they've got a lot of the old style trailer framing yeah so it's all very much it, i the first time i saw stuff there i was just like wow this takes me back and they're clearly they're, they they run a lot of older stuff so it's it, it fits with them but there's a you know um the um glenwood arts used to do it where you'd have like the old school trailer stuff and, oh and, right right yeah i really appreciate that stuff from a nostalgia point of view of course but some of that was really clever so it's nice to see it's still getting some some exposure well and i have i have this one that i built for um just general stuff i don't i don't even know really where we're going to use it but i've got this one here that is this will be a premiere nobody's ever seen it before Mm-hmm. Yep. yep, I like it. Yep. Now, stop, stop, stop. All right. <laughs> because, you know, you do those you do those fun little bits. I mean, we've got sure. we've talked about doing the 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 watch parties over on Twitch. We've got uh, and it looks like Raiders of the Lost Ark is still still available. So we need to do that at some point. I don't know. We got to pick a weekend or something to do that. But I have the whole everything built up kind of like the you know the cbs and abc sunday night sure, right. movies type stuff i've got those introductions that we haven't used near as much as we should um but you know it's it, it, they're out there we just gotta we just gotta you know find opportunities to do stuff with it right I don't know. It's just just one of those things, I guess. Well, there's a lot of other stuff that we could talk about in terms of these kinds of adaptations. Um, I mean, very easily could turn into a, a, another two-episode one because I mean, we haven't touched on a lot of this stuff. I mean, yeah. something like World War Z. Sure. Which, again, you know what? Hair folks, uh, dear Hollywood, <clears throat> please... <laughs> Please get in touch with me because I will be more than happy to help you uh, turn that into an eight-episode uh, miniseries because that's how you make that's how you adapt that story. Yeah, it's an episodic story in the book. Um, if you want, if you want to do a, if you want to do an original, you know, God, uh, I could the books. I could sit there and tell you that if you want to adapt into a new, start a new. Uh, you could even call it a franchise, I guess, because three or four books to make the story or whatever. You know, there's there's all kinds of stuff that's out there that that is begging for an adaptation. And there's there's another there's another show idea for us is right. that the the stuff we're reading and watching right now, or, or that should be a feature film, or should be a you know should be turned into something that you know or um, should not or should not yeah. right. Well, it's like okay, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna. I meant to talk about this earlier and then we got on these other tracks, but it's like, you look at, you look at some of these things that are getting done. It's like, nobody knows, nobody can explain who Velma is being made for because I'm pretty sure that Mindy Kaling was bitten by a a Scooby-Doo as a child. And and she just carried this rage at the character forever (laughs) Um, because it's just, I mean, it's the only thing that makes sense to me. Um, Nobody likes this show because it's not for anyone and it's, 
it's mean-spirited towards the characters. And the, we can come back again. Uh, we've got, you know, that's a bigger discussion. Again, part of this, again, maybe we need to do a second episode. But if you want that kind of thing, and, and to some degree, the deconstruction of these characters and that sort of stuff that, that has become, you know, like Alan Moore did a ton of it, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you want that kind of thing for something like, say, Scooby-Doo, there's other stuff out there. You know, Edgar Contero um, wrote a book called Meddling Kids that I've mentioned before. Um, and it's basically what if Scooby-Doo, what if, what if you what if you applied the real world to Scooby-Doo? Well, then Scooby-Doo is dead because dogs only live so long. Well, and, and, uh, and uh, uh, what was it? Venture Brothers did a thing Yeah, the Venture Brothers. I mean, so... So the, compare and contrast Venture Brothers, which looks at so much of that pop culture stuff, including Johnny Quest. I mean, Race Bannon dies in the first episode of Venture Brothers. I mean, it's it's a it, and it's hysterically wrong. And you're going, why am I laughing? Um, but there's there's certainly a lot of that dark humor that runs through Venture Brothers. That whatever they're trying to do with something like Velma is just you know, not even hitting that same space. But if you want something that's that's more clearly somebody who loves the characters from Scooby-Doo, who loves those types of characters, because it's not, it's not Scooby-Doo, it's it, it's inspired by, sure, right? It's sure, sure. Those the, kinds of characters. The pastiche, right? yeah. Um, you know, but it's clear that he, that Edgar Pantero loves Scooby-Doo. And and even though he puts those characters through their paces, um, it's not a it's not a mean thing, mm -hmm. right? And and I think that that's some of the things where you and I have talked before about somebody who doesn't understand. Yes, that show is really funny now, but when they made it in the nineteen seventies, it was not made as a joke, right? You know, it's like, yes, yes, it's ridiculous. And yes, it has aged poorly. But the reason it was popular at the time is not because it was ridiculous or it was viewed as being ridiculous. Yeah. So this is, yeah, we, we clearly have another. We have yeah, we have a part. A do we want to do part two next week or do we want to? Because the other thing, too, because I actually, I actually, those of you who have been here for a while, may be surprised to learn that I actually have a list of topics. He does. And I, I sent that list to, to Tim today and said, here's here's what we've got. These are the things that I've written down on my on my little post-it notes and okay, here's what we've got. But we do have one that kind of dovetails off of the last two shows that we've done, talking about missed opportunities and, and spoiled potential and, and everything like that. With regard to actors mm -hmm. or i guess you could say you know you could do directors as, as well sure who started off in their careers with a ton of potential oh this person is going places and then didn't so we have that subject as well that kind of connects to what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks or we could do part two of this one and then circle back to that one, I guess we could do. So well, I mean we could we could do that one and then circle back to this. They don't have to be back to back. To back, to back, to back. 
Vic Tabak. We could talk about Vic Tabak at some point. <laughs> yes, the one-hit wonders. One-hit yes. wonders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it's not necessarily well. The one-hit wonders is is one thing, but you've also got you've also got performers and directors who have had careers, but they haven't had the the huge success that you expected them to have. I thought right. I when I first saw Mary Stuart Masterson, uh, I caught her in there was there was a moment in Chances Are. Because uh, she's opposite Robert Downey Jr., who is playing her father reincarnated, but he doesn't know it yet. Right. And there's a there's a moment they're in the library. It's a scene in the library. I will never forget it. He says something, and she starts to walk away and gives him this double take. Mm-hmm. And I, whatever it was that she did. The look on the the look on her face, something in that double take. I saw I she's got something. I saw a spark there. I said, she's going places. And then we had Betty and June and some kind of wonderful. And she kind of it she kind of just didn't have the huge career that I thought she was had. She's had a steady career. She's worked. Right, but she hasn't blown up as a star the way I expected, and that's that's kind of odd to me. What's kind of interesting for some of these folks is that for all the downsides of the streaming wars, is that this quote unquote period of peak TV uh-huh. has meant that a lot of these folks have ended up getting TV work later in their careers, yeah. and basically being an, a whole new audience is getting exposed to them. Um, that. You know, you and I can sit there and go, yeah, I remember that. I remember that when they were their breakout role in the 80s that didn't seem to go anywhere. Here they are now and they're they're getting in front of an audience and building a new fan base. Right. But they're in their they're in their 40s and 50s and 60s, which is great because, of course, you know, Hollywood is so kind to, <laughs> to actors who get older. I mean, yeah. very, you know, the very unkind to female actors who get older, but there's, there's certainly a lot of male actors who don't necessarily age beautifully. Well, and this is something that I've seen with regard to Picard season three is the, the notion that, I mean, all of these next generation cast are late 60s, 70s. I mean, Michael Dorn is 70. And all all of these characters are, you know, all all the actors are older now. And I've seen online various different people talking about the fact that the the TV show, the 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 production, they don't shy away from it, but they also don't make any big deal of it. Unlike if you look at Star Trek Two, for example, that was all about Kirk getting old, and he's what in his fifties at that point, early fifties. And well, it's about Kirk feeling old. Well, yes, but the like you say, you know, Hollywood. I'm in my fifties. I feel old a lot of the time. <laughs> oh, I feel old all the feel... time. There's times uh, I, I swear to God, though, there's times when I sit there and I go, I know I'm 52, but I don't feel 52, and I'm 
Just wait till you're 53. That's I know. It's all downhill. It's it's all downhill from 30. I have bad news. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we will leave it at that. We will we will leave everybody warned. All right. So next week, uh, it's wasted on the young. (laughs) It is. It is. There are a lot of things that's wasted on the young. Um, okay, so next week, what do, what do we do next week? Next week we do uh, part two of this one. And oh, then, sure, we can okay, do that. So we'll do part two, and then, and then we'll circle back to actors and, and other, other creative types who have maybe not lived up to the potential we thought they, they would have. And then after that, we'll go through the rest of that list because we have a list. Maybe I'll post it. Maybe I'll post the list over on our Discord server, and y'all can tell us what you'd like to see next. There you go. After after okay, so you've got an article link to post in the yeah, Discord. You're gonna find that article, <clears throat> and then I will post the photograph of the list of topics that we've got, and then we'll go from there. Sounds like a plan. All right. In the meantime, I uh, do want to invite you all to uh, join me on uh, tomorrow's Live from the Bunker. Paul DeGarabedian will be here to talk about the uh, the box office failure of Shazam 2. We'll also touch on a little bit uh, the, the shakeup going over on Mar- at uh, Marvel Studios with uh, Victoria Alonso uh, on the way out. And then we will get in-depth with everything going on at Disney with Cameron Pasha on Thursday. Uh, not just Victoria Alonso happening, getting fired, but tons of things over there. Chaos. Chaos and mayhem over at Disney and Lucasfilm. So that's Thursday. And, of course, you can connect with us on all the different social media channels and platforms and all these different video channels. And it looks like... Uh, it looks like we have had some success tonight with our simulcast to four different platforms. All right. So, I, who knows? Uh, we'll we'll see if this actually becomes a thing. I don't know that there's actually 22 people watching us on Rumble. I don't know what that number is, but uh, maybe maybe. Who knows? I don't know. It's it's very strange. I got I got to well, look and see what all this layout is because we haven't streamed a rumble before. But uh, if anyway, you're new to the show, then welcome, we and we hope you enjoyed <laughs> listening to us ramble for a while. And, yes, and, and we didn't digress back. that too terribly much tonight. Uh, we digressed in the same space. Yeah, which is rare for us. all right folks thanks very much for being here tonight we will be back to do this again next week have a good night this has been a presentation of sci-fi for me radio copyright 2023 by flaming dog media llc all rights reserved no portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of flaming dog media you're listening to sci-fi for me radio 